morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. Let me be the first, not the first, hopefully the latest to say welcome to all of our friends and family members who are joining us here in the room here or across the way over in Leesburg. We're happy that you're here. Before I start on today's series, let me do a little, my own little survey right here. How many people know the subject that we're going to be speaking about in this series before you came? How many people knew the subject before you came? Okay. Look around, ladies and gentlemen. Those are very courageous people. Because who goes to church for a sermon series when it's on money? Like, come on. You got some real guts. But don't worry. I'm here to tell you right off the bat, before you head for the, for those who didn't know the series is going to be on money, before you head for the doors, okay, I will assure you that no point in this series are we going to dim the lights, strum on the piano or the, key, or the guitar, and show you pictures of poor kids from Africa and take up a collection or anything like that. At no point in this series are we going to do any of that stuff because what we are trying to do here, I am trying to do something, ladies and gentlemen, that has never been done in the history of Christian churches from the beginning. I'm trying to do something that's never been done, a series on money without asking for any of it. Do you think it's possible to be done? Well, that is my goal here over the next four weeks. So you may think to yourself, if we're not going to ask for any money, why are we going to talk about money? Well, two reasons. The first reason we're going to talk about money simply is because Jesus did. And we're big fans of talking about what Jesus talked about here in the church. Jesus talked about money, actually, if you, if you look at it, he talked about money more than any other subject. Half of Jesus' parables, roughly, Jesus gave about 35 parables, 16 of them were on the subject of money. And Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about heaven or prayer or faith or any of those things. And we would all agree those things are pretty important, prayer and faith in heaven. But Jesus thought that money was an important subject, so we're going to talk about it because he talked about it. But he, like I said, he never asked for any money. So you would ask yourself, why did he talk about it so much? And the answer is because he was after something much greater than money. That's our second reason. And that's this, that money will be the number one competitor for your heart. Money will be the number one competitor for your heart. Our hearts belong to God. Jesus, we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are all the right things that we always want to say. But the number one competitor for your heart will be money. And that's why Jesus spoke about it. He spoke about money, not because he wanted to have more of it, but he wanted to make sure that it didn't have us. He wanted to make sure that we had the proper view towards this thing that if we're not careful, we'll compete, for our, we'll compete with God for this first place in our hearts. So that's the purpose of this series is to understand where the right context, the true purpose, the true value of money. And I'll tell you right off the bat, if I took a survey right here and I said, how many people would say that money is the most important thing? 0% of the people in this room would say zero is the, money is the most important thing in my life. 0% of the people in the world would say money is the most important thing. No one ever says that. I've never met anyone. But if we're honest, for something that we say isn't the end of the world, something that isn't the most important, we spend a lot of time thinking about it, don't we? We spend a lot of time worrying about it. We spend a lot of time and energy and effort to try to get more of it and protect the little bit that we have. <clears throat> Especially these days. You don't got to get very far in a conversation before the subject comes back to inflation, gas prices, economy, stock market, 401k, retirement. Like this is something that's on everyone's mind these days. All of us would say life is about more than money, yet we spend a lot of time and energy on it. And I believe is because maybe, just maybe, the reason money has such a hold on us is because maybe we don't view it in the proper way. So we're going to take a step back in this series over the course of these next four weeks. And we're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, you spoke about money a lot. Tell us, 
How should we view money? What should be our mindset as to what the value and the purpose of money? Hopefully we'll answer that question. We're going to start with a passage from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Okay, and in it, Jesus makes clear the importance of taking, of looking at this money area. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the connection. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying, this isn't my words. Jesus is saying is that money is an indicator of the heart. Money tells you what's really on the inside. And actually, we as a society, we know this because finish the expression for me when I want to know what you really, really mean. Hey, put your money where your mouth is because money is where the rubber hits the road. It's easy to say something's important, but put your money where your mouth is because money is an indicator of much more than just dollars and cents. Now he goes on, after telling us this, he tells us a weird couple of verses, and I wanna, I wanna look at these verses. Sometimes we look at these verses outside of the context of this passage. So here he's talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Don't go for the wrong kind of treasures, the right kind of treasures. And then he says this, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And you look at that, we usually take these verses having nothing to do with money. And we put them all by themselves and we say, yes, our eyes should be pure and we should only look upon holy things. But this is in the context of money. And what Jesus is telling us right here is fix your eyes. Make sure that you see things properly. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures over there. Make sure you have the right treasures because your treasure is your heart. Fix your eyes, understand, have the right perspective. And I prove to you that it's still about money because the next verse tells us that. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What we're going to do in this series is we're going to make sure that our eye is clean. Make sure that we see things the proper way. Because what we're going to see is that money, according to Jesus, is a great servant, but a very bad master. And if we learn how to make money our tool, our servant, our uh, means, then we'll be in good shape. But if not, we'll be in trouble. And that's the key thought of this series. Money can add meaning to your life, but only when you realize that it's just a means, not an end. Money can add meaning to your life. That's why it's called the meaning of money. A little double meaning there. Okay. Money can add meaning to your life, but only when you realize that it's just a means and not the end. Speaking of the end, as a priest, I go to a lot of funerals. If you haven't been to a lot of funerals, let me tell you how most funerals go. Most funerals, let me tell you actually how they don't go. Money doesn't usually get a lot of play at funerals. Like we don't usually talk about, oh, that guy, he had lots of cars. Oh, you should have seen how size that person's house. You should have seen how much money that person. We never talk about money at funerals unless it's how much the person gave away of it. And that illustrates the point for us, that money is not the end in and of itself. It's a means, and we'll talk about that in a second, but if you think money of money as an end, you will end up with nothing but the money. You will end up with lots of it, but you will end up also with lots of regrets. Versus the one who understands that money is a means, that's a person who will live a meaningful life. You like the double meaning there. I'm going on this one. Okay, the means thing. 
Money can add meaning to your life, but only when you realize that it's just the means, not the end. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 16 to illustrate this point. It's a story about a man. It's a fictitious story. Okay, it's not real. Parable means a story, okay, to teach a lesson about a man who had a steward, a rich man who had a servant or a steward or a manager. And he, Jesus uses this story to teach us exactly this point. But as he always does, okay, if you've read any of Jesus' parables, you know they all kind of have a curveball in them. Jesus kind of starts you off on a story, and you think it's kind of leaning from A to B to C, and then at the last minute, he flips the script and throws this curveball in there to teach this object lesson. It's exactly what he does right here about the meaning of money. And we'll pick up the story in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. You have a man who's rich, and he's so rich that he hires a steward or a manager. Okay, think of it as, 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 as like, you know, like a, a celebrity or someone with so much money, okay, that they hire someone to manage their, like a financial manager, financial advisor or whatever. It'd be someone, like, I don't have time to buy and sell and trade and manage whatever it is. So he hires someone. He says, I got too much. I can't keep my eye on it. So I'm going to hire you. You have the authority to buy and sell and trade on my behalf. Verse 2. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. So the manager, I'm sorry, the, the rich man set, takes this guy and he hires him, but he hears through the grapevine that the steward isn't doing a very honest job. He isn't doing a very good job. And he's saying, you come here, can you call you into the office? I hear you're messing around with my money. I hear that you're not taking good care of what I entrusted you with. Give an account of your stewardship because today is your last day, I am firing you. The steward reacts. Then the steward said within himself, verse three, what shall I do? For my master is taking away the stewardship away from me. I'm about to lose my job, I got no job. He says, I cannot dig, I'm ashamed to beg. I cannot dig, I don't know how to do manual labor, like I'm a money manager, I don't know, I'm ashamed to beg, I got pride. I have resolved what to do, he comes up with an idea. I have resolved what to do that when I am put out of my stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. He says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to do manual labor. I, I'm too, I have pride. I can't just go and be a beggar. Then he says, ah, I got an idea. And he came up with a plan. Verse 5. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He calls the people who owe money to his master. Think of it as the accounts receivable in the business world. He calls his accounts receivable. And he says, hey, how much do you owe the master? The guy said, I owe him 100 measures of oil. He says, okay, take down, sit down quickly, and write 50. And the guy's like, that's a deal. Like, I owe you 100 bucks? Now you're saying, oh, I got to pay 50? Deal. Thank you. That's the best. And the guy does it. And he goes on. Write that, remember that word quickly. We're going to come back to that word quickly. Verse 7, then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. To which the guy said, deal. Like, now I wish I had the 50% off deal, but okay, I'll take what I can get. And the implication here is that he went through all of the master's debts and called all the different people who owed him money said, how much do you owe? Okay, write this. Quickly, quickly, quickly. How much you? Okay, quickly, quickly. And of course, the people were like, 
Yeah, absolutely. And the guy's like, quickly, quickly, quickly. What? And you think to yourself, why quickly? Why quickly? Sale ends at midnight? Like, why quickly? Why is he in such a rush? So I'm about to get fired. I don't got time. I don't got time to get back to me. Like, the master said, like, this is, like, I have very limited time left. I have very limited opportunity. I, may, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. So, like, while we're here, sit down, write the bill, finish it. I need to take advantage of this limited time that I got left because I don't know how much more I got of it. Now, the crowd is listening to this story. And the crowd is thinking to themselves what? What would you be thinking if you're listening to this story as you're listening to it now? Forget about how if you know how it ends. Forget about you know how it ends. What are you thinking? Well, I think there's probably two different reactions. I think if you are a debtor, you're listening to this and saying what? Deal. <laughs> this is great. Love the story. Great story. This is a fantastic story. I wish this would happen to me. But let's say the majority of Jesus' crowd is the opposite. It's people who have people indebted to them. How do you think they're responding? No wonder the guy's getting fired. Crook. Like, no wonder the guy's getting fired. Like, I was expecting 100 from this guy and I only got 50. I was expecting 100 from this guy and I only got 80. And he went and did that for all. Like, he's costing me money. He's not making a deal of his own money. Like, he's not like, okay, I'll do you a favor from his own pocket. He's making a deal out of my pocket. He's a crook. He deserves to get in trouble. Well, if that's what you're thinking, here comes the curveball. Because that's what Jesus always does. Before I show it to you, but just, just, just follow me here on this one. Jesus came. Jesus' primary purpose in coming to this world was to show us the right way to view things, to fix our eyes and fix our minds because we got messed up with the fall. So we started to look at things that, like I said, should be servants. We started to make them masters. Everything got distorted. So, so many times, and we're about to see it right now. So many times, there's an example of where like, we're so sure that we're looking at this the right way. I'm so sure, like this makes total sense. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. It makes total sense. And Jesus comes out of left field and says, you guys are all wrong. And he does it in such a way when you're like, you're like following the story and you're like, okay, this is next. And he points you over there because that's what he did. He came to turn the world upside down. He came to take the things that we thought were, that were, were, were the highest. He made them lowest and vice versa. Verse eight. So the master commended. The master commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. Commended. That's not a typo. It's not supposed to say condemned. Okay, commended. That's the right word. He commended him. Great job. High five. Good one. You cost me all that money. Way to go. Why would he do that? And it even says he commended the unjust steward. He even clarifies that he's unjust. He did wrong. Why did, why did the master commend him? Because he dealt shrewdly. What does shrewdly mean? Wisely, okay? Shrewd means that he thought it through. Shrewd means that he understood the situation. He saw the big picture. Because if he's not shrewd, he's just thinking, he, he saw shrewd, sees the big picture. He said, you know what? I got limited time. I got limited opportunity. These are the resources at my disposal. I'm gonna do the best that I can with the limited resources and the limited opportunity to set myself up for a good future in the end. 
He thought beyond the here and the now towards the future. He thought towards where is it that I want to get to and all I have at my disposal is these limited, these limited things, these limited opportunities, my limited time, my limited resources, and he said, I'm going to make the most of it. And you're sitting there and you're confused like, okay, but he cost the guy a lot of money. You know why we're confused by this story? Because we think of money as an end. And if the end goal is as much money as possible, this guy did, did, did him wrong. If that's the end goal, as much money as possible, then yes, this guy did wrong. But Jesus is saying that's not the end. He's trying to teach us we need to view stuff, wealth, possessions, money, material, not as an end. The goal is not to get as much as possible. The goal is to use it as a means to see how can I use what limited resources I have, the limited money that I have, however limited it is, in my limited time, with my limited opportunity to make the most good possible. And this guy figured it out. This guy figured out that the money was a tool, not the end. And because of that, that's why Jesus commended him. Said another way, the steward was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity. He wasn't commended because he was dishonest. He was commended because he understood the purpose of money was not to gain as much as possible, but to use it to set himself up for the future. And Jesus is telling us to do the same thing. That's why after he tells us, says the master commended the guy, to which everyone's like, really? He commended the guy? Like, how can it be? He commended him for losing all that money? Then he leans into the people, and now he steps out of the story. That's what Jesus does. He tells a story. Okay, like, boys and girls, listen to the story. Then he stops the story, and he looks you straight in the eye, and he gives us a command. And this is to the people and to us. He says, I say to you, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Use the unrighteous mammon. Use the limited resources. Use the stuff that people think as an end, but it's not really an end. Use it. The wise, the shrewd, are those who use their temporary wealth for something much greater than the here and now. Said another way, your right now resources have the potential to make a forever difference. That's what Jesus is saying. Your right now resources have the potential to make a forever difference. And the wise are those who figure this out. Limited time, limited opportunity, limited resources. How can I use it to make the most for a forever opportunity? Now, before we finish the story, I want to pause right here. I want to give my own little commentary on it. If it's true, what I just said, and y'all nodded your heads when I said what I said, so you said it's true, so it's true. And Jesus said it, so that's really why it's true, but you nodded your heads as well. If what I said is true, and you believe what I just said, that your right now resources can make a forever difference, we maybe have to change one of the beliefs that is ingrained inside all of our heads. And this is a belief that's not ingrained inside people in the world, it's a belief in, inside people of the church. The longer you've been raised in church, the longer you spent going to church, the more what I say is going to sound like, yeah, this is what we should believe, and this is what we've always been taught, and this is the right thing. But I'm telling you, Jesus' words tell us that maybe we're looking at it wrong, and that is the following. Maybe our belief that 10% of our money belongs to God, maybe that's not actually accurate. You know this, right? Like if you grew up in church, you were trained, 10% belongs to God, 10% belongs to God. 
If you don't give God the 10%, you're stealing from God. You're robbing God. 10% belongs to God. 90% belongs to me. And as long as I give the 10%, doesn't matter what I do with the other 90. That's how we were trained. Give the 10%, give it right off the top so that you don't get lightning bolted from heaven. Just give the 10%, okay? Doesn't matter what you do with the rest of the money. Doesn't matter what you do with the rest of the money. Just give it over there, put it in there, live your life, you're in good shape. Well, based on this parable, I'm sorry to say, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think 10% belongs to God. I think based on this parable, God is saying, I gave you all this money and I want you to use it all as a means for something greater than the money. I want you to use 100% of it, as much of it as you got. Now, I'm not saying give it all to the church, although we wouldn't complain. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we have to stop viewing it as this belongs to God, the rest is mine, I can do whatever I want with it, live however I want. You can do that. No one's going to stop you. Like, I don't have the right to stop you. Like, I don't have your financial accounts. But what I'm telling you is live shrewdly, live wisely, realize that your right now resources can live beyond the right now. You can use it for something much greater than just the here and the now, and that's what makes us shrewd. So I think based on this parable, each one of us needs to ask ourselves a question. I'm going to put the question up here, and I'm going to repeat it throughout the rest of our time here together. And that question is this. How can I leverage more of what I have as a means towards my ultimate end? How can I leverage more of what I have as a means towards my ultimate end? How can I leverage the resources that God has given me towards my ultimate end, whatever that may be? And listen carefully. I'm sticking to what I said. I ain't asking you for a dollar. I'm not telling you what your end is. I'm not telling you what you should live your life for. That's up to you. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. You can figure it out. So if you say, I want my life to be for pleasure, go for it. Money is a great tool to help you get there. You say, I want my life to be dedicated towards, like I always want, I want to be the guy who's like, I have the newest phone. That's me. No one's got a newer phone than me. And as soon as this phone, even though it works perfectly fine, as soon as there's a newer one, I want that to be, money is a great tool. Leverage all of it. If that is your ultimate end, use it. I'm not telling you what to live for. Some people say, I want to live, and I'm not saying give it all to the church. Some people want to give it all to church. But what I'm saying is, maybe you say cancer. I want to live my life. The end, my life, is to get as close as we can to a, a solution for cancer. Money is a great tool to get you there. You say whatever it is you want, preaching the gospel, helping the homeless, like whatever it is that you want, I'm not telling you what your end is. You're smart enough to figure it out. But what I'm telling you is, is that the wise, the shrewd, are those who realize that money will be a great tool to get you there. But only when you realize that it's just a tool. It's not the end. <clears throat> I can speak about this topic. I won't speak about it all day, but I could speak about it all day. And the reason why I believe I am in a unique position to speak about this topic is because I have been married now 21 years. That's not the reason why, okay? But I have been married 21 years and to date, my wife and I have never once had a fight about money. Yeah, that's a miracle because that's like the number one thing people fight about. And I never understood it, but I think I get it now. The reason why my wife and I have never had a fight about money is because both of us are raised very similarly. And both of us came into marriage with very similar views. And that's due solely to our parents. Both Marianne and I were raised by two sets of parents who were close friends all their lives and lived the same kind of view towards money, and that is this. They are both very successful, both sets of parents. Very successful. 
and their careers. They actually went to, our dads went to college together in Egypt, electrical engineering, whatever it was. Both very successful. But probably two of the most generous families that you'll ever meet in your life. Let me start with my father-in-law, who passed away January of last year. My father-in-law and his lovely wife, very successful. Government employees, GS 14, 15, I don't know what all that stuff means. Okay, had all kinds of money and had all kinds of success. But you could never tell it by looking at two things. Number one, his name is Uncle Atif. Okay, you can never tell by looking at Uncle Atif's closet or his garage. Because his closet was like a trip back in time to the late 70s. And I'm telling you, we would look at pictures, okay? Look at pictures of like when, when, when Marianne was young. We'd be like, Uncle Atif, you're wearing the same thing that you're wearing exactly right now. Like, it's the same outfit. But the guy was like, it covers all the important parts, so what's the big deal? Why do I need new clothes? Same thing with his cars. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there are people here who make 25% of his income who spend four times amount on cars. Because I don't think the guy ever spent more than, I'm not making this number up, I don't think the guy ever spent more than $7,000 on a car. I don't think the guy ever spent, and his, his opinion was very simple. It still gets me from here to there. What difference does it make if I spend more on it? But the reason why? Because he hated to waste money. He hated to waste money because he knew money could do great things. Money could be used to change the world. Why would we waste it on a car? Why do we waste it on clothes? My family, similar. My dad, like I said, was an electrical engineer and he, he was very successful for so many years. He even taught a course at like Hopkins or whatever it was, a graduate level course. My mom, who passed away about two years ago, almost to the day, she was a hematologist at George Washington University and her claim at the hospital. Her claim to fame was, see who's old enough to remember, when Reagan was shot, she was there. Like she was on and like the camera panned and she, and she like hematologist, I don't know what hematologist, that's something with blood. So she like analyzed his blood or mixed his blood or drank his blood. I don't know what she did. Okay. She did something with Reagan's blood. So like he was alive thanks to my mom. My mom, again, my parents were very successful. We always had everything that we needed. My mom was the queen of recycling. But when I say recycling, I don't mean like save the planet, hug a tree, recycling. I mean reusing. My mom, there was nothing called disposable silverware in our house. We got, some people laugh, okay? We got the disposable and it was always like, do we wash it? How many times do we wash it before we throw it away? And especially not those cheap little white ones, okay? I'm talking about the clear ones, okay? Those, those could last like six months in our house, okay? You wash those things, why would you not? My mom also, the containers. Okay, you know the containers? Okay, my mom never threw away, like you know those Cool Whip containers? We had them all over the place. I don't know what Cool Whip looks like because there was never Cool Whip on the inside. There was always something else. And to this day, to this day, whenever like I finish my bottle of vitamins, I finish my vitamins and I'm about to throw it away and I'm like, this could probably be used for something, okay? That's thanks to my mom. And last but not least, in case you think she can't reuse anything even worse, my mom was a big fan of drinking tea. When you drink a tea, you have a cup, a water and a tea bag. In my house, you had a cup, you had a water, you put the tea bag in one, two, three, four, and then used it for someone else's cup. <laughs> my mom and my dad would share a tea bag. And if my dad wasn't gonna drink, you would say, okay, just use it, throw it away. She would one, two, three, four, put it in an empty cup and save it for tomorrow morning to drink the tea from right there. 
And before you think our parents were so cheap because they were greedy, because they were selfish, you could not be further from the truth. Marianne's family, Uncle Atif, his thing among many other things, okay, a lot of you guys know this, and I'm sure some people here actually experience this. They were all about taking care of people of immigrants, people who just moved to the country, especially those who had no place to go. And Marianne's house did more traffic than your nearest hotel. Because anytime there was a new family, they would stay in Marianne's house. And he wouldn't just give them a place to stay. He wouldn't just give them clothes to borrow. The clothes, that's yours. He wouldn't just give them a ride where they needed a ride. He'd give them a car. He wouldn't just tell them where to go to get set up with Social Security. He would pack them in his car and he would take them and take the time off of work or whatever it was. He did whatever it was he could to help them set, get set up. So much so that Marianne, Marianne could come home from school and not find a person in her room. She could find a family of five in her bedroom. And that's like where they are. And Marianne one time told me this story. Said she came home from school, probably, I don't know what, 10, 11 years old, whatever it is. And she said there was a guy sleeping in her bed in his tidy whities Like that's all he was saying. A guy sleeping in his bed in his tidy whities And like anyone else, like you see that, you call the police. Marianne packed up her stuff, went to her sister's room, and did her homework in her sister's room. Because that was just normal. Guy in his tidy whities in the room right there. The lesson was very simple. Money was not the end. They had plenty of money, but money was a means to do much more than just have it. So much so that I don't know this to be true. This may or may not be true. But when Uncle Atta passed away and all the papers and all the stuff like that, I truly believe that he actually gave away more money than he actually made. I don't know how that's possible. But when it all came out and we saw how much money he was giving away, I truly believe that he gave away more than, than he earned. And for him, it worked. Money was a great means. The heavenly reward, he's going to be the most popular guy up there. But more than that, he was the most joyful person here on this planet, even though he didn't have any of the stuff that we fight over. That's my father-in-law. My mother, for those who knew her. For her, it wasn't so much like the giving of the money. My dad usually handled more of the money stuff. But for her, it was the giving of the home. She loved to open her home. Our home was always open to anyone in need, but especially students especially people who moved here from other places because she didn't want to just provide a home. She actually provided a mom. And she was a mom to so many. She would pack lunches for people. She would host those people's family when they would come into town and take care of them and cook for them and take the time off work or whatever it was. She would sit and talk to them about the stuff that, like, I never talked to my, I'm not a talker. Okay, my mom was a talker. I'm not a talker, but like God provided for her. People would come, talk about their girl problems, talk about, you know, dating, this and that, all the stuff that made my mom so happy. And in case you think like, okay, but she's just a social person. My mom had a debilitating disease, which nobody knew about. It was called TN. Try, okay, what I know is it's called, the nickname is, it's the suicide disease because it's a pain, it's a nerve pain in your teeth. And she was the one who made me realize, you know when Jesus said that hell is like gnashing of teeth? Because truly it is the most painful thing. And my mom would spend nights like hitting her hand and her head sometimes against the wall from the amount of pain. And there were many times we had all those people over and they didn't know anything about the pain. Because my mom was the most joyful person on the planet. And I know that up in heaven right now, she's the most popular person up there, especially around dinner time. 
My point is to say, that's the example that me and Marianne saw. That's why we never fight about money. So for us, it was a very easy thing. Like once we were married, it wasn't like, how much should we give? <laughs> Kidding me? So 10% right off the bat. We, we didn't even discuss it. We give 10% to the church right off the bat. But then we said, it's not just like, how much do we give? It's how can we give more? I'm not saying this to show off. Or I'm not saying because I'm anything special. What I'm saying is this is what I was taught. And this is how I, 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 I was raised. It was how much more can we give? So we made one of our goals, okay, just, again, I'm not saying we've always been able to do it. One of our goals is not just to give 10%. One of our goals is to increase 1% every year. That's our goal. And thanks be to God, many years we're able to do it. Some years we weren't, okay, being honest. But that's been our goal. It's not just like we want our prayer life to increase. We want our fasting to increase. We want our Bible to increase. We want our love to increase. We want our faith to increase. We want our giving to increase. It's something that we've done. I'm not telling you to do it. You have a different end than me, that's fine. Like, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you what we did. Another thing, we feel very content in our standard of living. We've never felt the need. Like, we always talk about it. Like, if we want a million dollars, I don't think I would change anything. I don't think I'd buy a new car. I don't think I'd buy, like, we're very happy with what we have. Like, just because I can afford new clothes doesn't mean I need it. Especially me, obviously. I mean, very simple wardrobe. But you know what I'm saying? Just because I can afford a new phone, just because I can afford a new car, just because I can afford something new doesn't mean I have to buy it. I'm happy with what I got. I'd rather give it away if I have an opportunity. That brings me more pleasure and more joy than having it for myself. Another thing that we've always agreed upon is that when God gives us extra, and God is very generous with us, when God gives us extra, a bonus, a something or other, we pray and we say, God, who do you want to give this to? And God has given us the opportunity to take that little bit of extra and just to be his vehicle, to give it to somebody else. Like, it's not for me. I'm saying God gives it to me, and I know God wanted to give it to that person, so he let me be a part of it. And what we realized through this is the tremendous joy that it brings to us because, listen carefully, this is an important, 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 important. Stories are more valuable than stuff. That's what we've learned from it. Stories are more valuable than stuff. Let me tell you some stories. I'll just tell you just one story. Once upon a time, this is probably like... Uh, this is probably three, four years ago, something like that. We used to have a dog, and I took the dog for the morning walk. And as I'm walking, we have lots of dogs in our neighborhood. Everyone is out in the morning walking their dog. As I'm walking down the street, I saw $500 in cash, five $100 bills on the sidewalk, like on the curb between the sidewalk and the street. Five $100 bills. And I said to myself, somebody must have dropped it, probably walking their dog, they'll be right back. I did my, my tour, okay, around the block, came back 15 minutes later, the money's still right there. And in my head, okay, of course I'm tempted to grab it, but I said, no, if somebody, like if it was, like I would do unto others, you would want done to you. If I dropped $500 in cash, I would hope someone would just leave it there for me. Like there was no name or anything like that. So I just left it there. That's like seven o'clock in the morning. Go about my day. Three o'clock, I go pick up my daughter from school. As I'm driving, I look as I'm passing that part and there's the money. $500 bills been sitting there from seven in the morning until three in the afternoon. Like what? Our neighborhood is tons of people walking their dogs. Like, what are they blind? Like, are they, why do they not see this? So I'm driving to pick up my daughter. And I said, okay, God, if that's there when, you, when I come back, I'm picking it up. <laughs> like for sure. Yeah. Of course, I drove hundred miles an hour. And I'm sure. <laughs> I went to pick up my daughter, told her the story. We both agreed. There's no way it's there when we come back. It's right there when we come back. I got out my car, picked up the money, put it in my pocket, picked up my phone. This is great news. I just got 500 bucks. I pick up the phone. I have to celebrate. So you know what I do? I pick up the phone and I call a friend. I say, great news. 
Come over tonight. I got something for you. It was a friend. Lost a job. Two kids. Wife sick. Just found out she's pregnant. I called him up and said, today I need you to come to my house. God gave me something to give to you. And I'm telling you, the joy on them. And then the joy on me. Compare that to a new phone. Compare that to a new pair of shoes. Like, yeah, I could have, you know, gotten some new beard gel, like the fan, like whatever. Like, are you kidding me? Do you want more stuff? Or do you want more stories? Because what Marianne and I have discovered is we want, the, we want the stories. I don't care about the stuff. So listen, I'm not telling you what to do with your money. I'm not telling you money is bad. Give it all away. I promise you, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. In fact, truth, I want you to have more money. I pray that you would have more money. I would love to have more myself. Like I am praying that God blesses all the people here with money. I am not saying money is bad. But what I'm saying is I pray that God gives it to you as a means to do something much greater than just have a whole bunch of it and to have money in the bank. <clears throat> because in the end, no one's going to talk about your stuff. Like I said, I've been to a lot of funerals. No one talks about stuff. No one talks about bank accounts. People tell stories. And I want you to have some stories when all is said and done. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11 says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. It's a prayer of blessing. You say, what are you talking about? The next verse explains. He prays, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Saying, I'm praying that you have more and more and more because the more you have, the more other people are blessed and thank God for you. And I want to say this very, very carefully. I want to look straight at the camera because I, this applies, what I'm about to say, to the people who are sitting here, but it applies to the, the hundreds and thousands of people who watch us on YouTube and all over the place online. I know that many of you have contributed to STSA, especially over the past year. We had a building campaign. Many people contributed to that building campaign. Many people contributed to the ministry here. And I want you to know, very important, that for the rest of your life, you are part of this story. Anyone here who has contributed, anyone on the other side of that camera who has contributed, you're part of the story here. So if somebody here finds God, you're part of that story because you gave. If somebody here has their marriage solved, like every baptism, every, every aha moment, every person who's lost and comes back, every time a sermon is preached, every time a sermon is preached, you have a share and an inheritance of that. Because you were wise. And you invested your money. You could have done a lot of other stuff. You could have bought a new thing or you could have invested in a new whatever. You could have spent it on yourself, but you chose to spend it on something. And I pray, God knows that I pray. I pray that God blesses you more than you can possibly imagine so that you can be enriched and you can be blessed so that you can continue to be a blessing for others. And I thank you. And on behalf of everyone who's here, thanks you. And on behalf of everyone who's here after we're gone, because we're here today and gone tomorrow. But the ministry lives and the ministry will go on. And whatever fruit comes from it, you're part of that story. And that's the whole point of this series. Money can add meaning to your life, but only when you realize that it's just a means and not the end. I want to put some questions up here on the screen, and I'm going to challenge you to wrestle with these questions. 
Talk about it with your wife or your husband on the way home from, from church today. Spend some time in your quiet time, wrestle with these. But here's the questions I want you to answer. You can take a pic. It's also in your handout, okay, if you picked up a handout. Question number one, what do I want people to celebrate about me when I'm gone? To what end am I living? Question two, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means towards that end? And question three, do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? What do you want people to celebrate, celebrate about you when you're gone? I heard it said another way. When you die, what do you want people to line up and say thank you for? What do you want people to say, no, I'm going to that person's funeral? Because that person, what do you want the answer to that be? That person had the most stuff? Can't wait to be at their funeral. They had the most stuff. I want to tell them, you did a great job with your stuff. You had so much stuff. You ate more fancy food than anyone on the planet. Is that what you want people to line up and thank you for? That is not a legacy. That's a life poorly lived. If your life is spent, the end of it is just on yourself. What do you want people to line up and thank you for? To what end are you living? And then once you decided that, how can you use your money as a means to it? Again, I didn't tell you what to live for. That's your decision. But I'm telling you, the money God gave you is a great tool to help you get there. And then third, do you want more stories or you want more stuff? Let's finish off the parable okay, that Jesus told. After he told this thing about the unjust steward, he says this. He says, he who is faithful in what is least is also faithful. I'm sorry, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? He's saying very simply, he's saying you got some stuff in your hand, but you don't really own it. You're just a manager. You're just a steward. Hey, how many, you know how I can tell you that your money isn't really your own? You know how you can prove it? Because someday it's going to go to somebody else. Like you got it today. You're going to die one day and you're not going to take it with you. Like the same money that I got in my pocket right now, at some point someone else is going to be holding it. It's not really mine. Like I'm giving it to me for a little bit and I have all this money. Oh, this is great. Look at me. And then I get hit by a bus and that money's going to go to somebody else. So it's not really yours. And what Jesus is saying right here is, I gave you all this now and money is not just a tool, but it's also kind of a test to see how you did with the stewardship. And if you did good, you're going to get, then you are going to get your own. I'm going to give to you what's your own because if you've not been faithful in the other man's, I want to commit to you what, what no one can take away from you. But you've got to be faithful in this. Verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give to you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Same verse that we saw earlier. Money is a great servant, but a very bad master. And then after Jesus finished, one more verse. One more verse. After Jesus finished, told this whole story, moved everyone's heart, gave them that curveball. Something strange happens at the end. It says, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these same things, and they derided him. Derided means they mocked him. They said, you know what he's talking about. So he's confused. Jesus is confused. Jesus, why are you confused? Why well, you, you don't understand? Let me ask you a question. These Pharisees who were lovers of money who derided him and disagreed with him, do you know what their names are? Neither do I. And that's what happens to a life where you think money is the end. No one remembers you. No one cares. No one remembers them, and no one cares to find out. 
So because of that, we're going to get this thing right. We're going to get this thing right. We're going to change our way of view of money. Money is not an end in and of itself. Money is a great servant, but a bad master. And my prayer is that through our time here together, I'm going to put the questions back up on the screen because some people, in case you didn't get a chance to look at it, I'll leave you with this. Money is a great, great, great means. It can add great meaning to your life, but only when you realize that it's a tool and not the end in and of itself. Okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you from the bottom of our heart. Every one of us here today, Lord, has been given so much, so much more than we deserve, and so much more than even we know what to do with sometimes. But I pray, Lord, that you would never allow money to take control of our hearts. Never let us to be deceived into thinking that the end goal is as much of it as we can have. Help us to see things clearly, Lord, and to leverage what you've given us for the ultimate end, the ultimate that we want to live our lives for, which ultimately, Lord, is you and your purpose for us. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Mm-hmm.